0: Hey everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here, another baseball America playoff podcast. We're gonna dive in because man, yesterday was a whole lot of fun. We didn't we did have a game rained out. We did we did lose one yesterday, but we didn't have a stinker in the bunch. Three games all of which were compelling, all of which had you gripping your seat, even if, like me, you're just watching it to enjoy baseball and you weren't living or dying with any of these games, which I thought over and over during that Rays-Red Sox game. I'm so glad that I'm not living and dying with one of these teams winning this because it it may have put me under. Even if you're a Red Sox fan, I'm sure that last night and the last couple of nights may have taken a couple of days off of your life. But we are here now today to look back over what happened in a a truly wild and incredibly enjoyable Monday, October 11th of baseball games. We'll look ahead a little bit to another three-game extravaganza today. But more than that, we are going to dive in because there was a lot of fascinating stuff to to, to, to dissect from last night, from yesterday, because I don't want to throw in the Braves Brewers game, which was not at night but Kyle I, the first thing we're going to jump into is the night game we're going to we're going to do these in reverse order and you were at a an odd dodger stadium dodger stadium impersonating candlestick park i don't think it was as cold as it would be at candlestick park but other than that we got a very unusual situation where dodger stadium is not a place i normally know for it's crazy wins, but that's what you got last night. And it played a significant factor clearly in the game.
1: Yeah. I've been fortunate to cover hundreds of games at Dodger stadium. Now I've never seen anything like this. Talking to some of the writers who have been covering games there for decades, they were saying they had never, ever, ever seen anything like this. Officially the winds were listed at about 15 miles an hour. They were blowing harder than that in the ravine. Even before the game, I mean, some of the stuff that was out on the field in batting practice, screens were getting blown off. You had trash blowing all over the outfield, and we all got there in the press box, and we're watching this, going as our hair is being, you know, whipped all over our faces, and we're all putting on jackets. And uh, a couple of writers brought beanies with them, and they needed them. I was kind of jealous of them. It was it was very cold with the wind and everything taken into uh, account. All that and. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting there going, this is going to have a big effect on the game. It was blowing kind of in from left field across the field out to right. So anything hit to left and center was going to be blown in. Anything hit to right was going to go out. And we saw that play out. Uh, first and foremost, Max Scherzer had his Stu Miller moment. I mean, the, the first inning, he got blown off the mound. Um, after the game, Evan Longoria talked a little bit about he had to step out of the box, wipe his eyes more times than he had ever done in his entire life before. Dust was getting all up in there. And then we saw it have a huge effect on, on the outcome of the game. It was a one nothing game. Mike Yastrzemski hit a ball that Any other day at Dodger Stadium, that thing is gone. Chris Taylor hit a ball. Any other thing at Dodger Stadium, that thing is gone. And then the very final bat of the night, Gavin Lux. I mean, he got all of it. The sound off the bat, the look off the bat. Again, all of us in the press box, myself included, have covered and seen hundreds of home runs at Dodger Stadium. And when you're at a ballpark, especially, you know what a ball off the bat looks like that's getting out. That thing is out by not just a little bit, probably 15, 20, maybe even more feet on a normal night at Dodger Stadium. And it stayed in the park. And we saw this happen a couple of times. The center fielder go back to the wall and actually have to step back in and make a catch in front of the warning track. Um, in this case, Stephen Duggar tracked down it and made that catch in front of the warning track. I think you have to give Stephen Duggar and Chris Taylor, the two center fielders, a lot of credit last night. Both of them made some really, really impressive catches and they did so. Some of them were impressive because of the wind. They had to reorient themselves, but also just a couple of balls that, you know, were, are difficult plays anyway, and you add in the wind on top of it. The fact that neither of them had any big errors in center field, I actually thought was a big, big testament to them and their center field play, and it made a huge difference. It was a one nothing game uh, without the win. It's at least a 2-2 game, and it goes into the 11th probably, and um, it changed the outcome of the game, and it just tells you, how much Evan Longoria got his home run. I mean, that thing was absolutely destroyed. And to get a ball out to left field and as many rows back in left field as he did, I mean,
0: talk about squaring a baseball up. He crushed that thing. And that that was a game where, did you feel like that the game, the strategy changed in that game as both teams realized how, we are in a home run world now. We are in a world where, I saw a stat I retweeted last night that if for the last, I think it's 90 games. It's like 73 and 11, how much the team that has homered more, which by the way, that that Dodgers-Giants game checks another box in that stat because it was one home run that, that the team that homered more won the game. But did you see any adjustments in that game as both teams realized, oh, it's going to be really hard to hit the ball out tonight?
1: Not really, and especially in the Dodgers case, because the Giants started Alex Woods. The Dodgers went with a very, very, very right-handed, heavy lineup. And then even their first reliever route, Tyler Rogers, has big reverse splits. The Dodgers, and they're using a bunch of pinch hitters, kept with right-handed hitters. And then Jake McGee came out, another lefty. So the Dodgers, again, they didn't really pinch hit at any of their left-handed bats, for the most part. Um, I mean, they're only left, you know, Corey Seager, obviously, is left-handed. He was in their starting lineup, but... He was only left-handed hitter in their starting lineup. And then, you know, after that, and they, you know, they used Billy McKinney as a pinch runner. He didn't get in that bat. They'd use a left-handed pinch hitter to the end with Gavin Lux. And because they were so right-handed and they're not a team that is great at going to the opposite field, they didn't really have anything they could do offensively. Anything they were hitting to center was getting knocked down. Um, I mean, that, that's where the strategy came in. The Dodgers being as right-handed as they were hitting balls to left and center they couldn't get anything going offensively and the Giants didn't have a, a ton of left-handed bats either. Um, you know, Mikey Strebski is obviously in the lineup. Steven Duggar's in the lineup. Lamonte Wade, Lamont Wade is in the lineup, but, um it, you know, their one run as well was Evan Longoria hitting a ball, you know, all the way out to left field. So that's where it came in a little bit. I think the Dodgers' lack of, of left-handed bats in yesterday's lineup, perhaps, but um, I do think that short changes the Giants pitching staff and especially their defense. I mean, Brandon Crawford made two sensational plays to rob Mookie Betts. The leaping catch is going to get most of the attention as it should. That was incredible to watch in real time and on replay. But before that, uh, the first at bat, Mookie Betts hit a ball hard up the middle. Crawford ranged to his left, made a play, you know, got his feet. I mean, it was still kind of moving backward and threw off his back foot to first base on target. That's an incredible play. Donovan Slano had a fantastic diving play uh, as well. After he came in, Tommy LaStella pulled himself because his Achilles wasn't right. Good on him for telling the manager. Uh, I mean, the Giants defense has has made some sensational plays. We saw that in game one. We are seeing that again here. We've seen that during the regular season. It made a big difference. I mean, if Brandon Crawford doesn't go up and get that hit from Mookie Betts there, uh, the second catch, I mean, there's a runner on second there that run scores. So the combination of the wind and the Giants defense and also the Giants pitching staff, again, give these guys credit. Um, I mean, the Dodgers just couldn't get anything going and they were frustrated. You could tell, you could see it in their reactions. And again, give, give the Giants credit for frustrating them. I mean, nine innings, five hits, no runs, two walks, six strikeouts. That's a pretty good final line against a really, really good Dodgers offense.
0: Before we jump to the other games, I do want to touch on also, you wrote about it today. When we talk about that Giants pitching staff, one of the other things that we have to talk about is uh, Camillo Duvall, who has been, I, there are surprise stories every year, but he ranks as one of the bigger surprises to see how important he is to this Giants bullpen now compared to what we were talking about, you know, as coming into the season.
1: Yeah, coming into the season, this was someone you said, He's probably going to make his major league debut, but he throws really hard. There's not a lot of command there. I actually saw Camilo Duvall for the first time in the California League All-Star game, San Bernardino, in 2019. And he was throwing 100, 101. He might have even gotten 102 that game. I need to go back and find my game story but he got squared up and gave up a home run to a Sturby Ruiz and Ruiz hit the heck out of this one. It was 101. It was right down the middle. It was the only thing he could throw for a strike so hitters could cheat on it. And that was his big thing throughout his minor league career. He threw really, really hard. A lot. It was not comfortable, but he just didn't have the control or the command really to consistently get hitters out. And I remember talking to a couple of scouts, including one that, had seen him since he was in the azl back in the day and he said you love the arm but he gets squared up a lot for a guy who throws 100 102 even in the low levels of the minors that's what i even saw Uh, and he came up this year and he really really struggled Uh, it's up it's in my story today at on baseballamerica.com i mean he was not good when he came up this first time this year era over seven got sent back down to triple a he was in sacramento most of the summer Uh, he came up briefly in august but Again, he came back up when rosters expanded and this was your classic okay you know extra guy we add to the back of our bullpen just to get us through september and he's been terrible he's throwing strikes he's not allowed to run in his last 17 appearances since the giants brought him back on september 5th he hasn't even walked a batter in his last 12 appearances and when you've got 100 101 with a sick upper 80 slider and you're throwing them for strikes repeatedly there's not a whole lot batters can do and you give him credit for the adjustment he made. And this is a confident kid. Uh, he mentioned last night when Kapler asked him to go back out for a second inning of relief or, or talked to him about it. Uh, it was really funny. Duval, I was speaking through an interpreter through the press conference. I asked him that question. What did Kapler uh, talk to him about? And as the question was interpreted to him, he said in English, I got it, Poppy. I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, he knew Yeah, I mean, that kid doesn't waver. The calm, the poise. Uh, Kapler talked about it for him to go out there in a one run game, you know, almost or over 53,000 fans screaming their heads off. Giants, Dodgers, get a two inning save where he's perfect, didn't allow a base runner. Uh, Could be more impressed. And it's been another chapter in a really, really impressive run. And look, you need guys to step up for you in the postseason. And the Giants are having that
0: right now with Camilo Duval. So we're gonna we've, we we're gonna jump into Rays Red Sox after the break. I want to talk about how you hear a lot about pitch counts, pitch count, pitch counts. In the postseason, there's a number to me that's more important than pitch counts, and we'll talk about that right after this quick message. So now we're gonna dive into Rays Red Sox. The Red Sox finish off the Rays in four games. In what? So far to me has been the most compelling series we've had back-to-back games the last two days that were uh, last night seemed like it was over and then it wasn't over. And then eventually it was over. It, just a great series. One of the things that that we have a lot to dissect in this game, we have Shane McClanahan coming in in relief and having one of the worst innings of his very short so far professional career. We have the question about why Yandy Diaz was still at third base in the late innings of that game when the, the Rays have one of the best defensive third basemen in, uh, in baseball and Joey Wendell. And we have a lot of other things to discuss. But, but one thing that did jump out, not just from this game, but from the playoffs in totality, is if, if the first decade of the 21st century was when we focused on pitch counts, And, oh, you can't let this pitcher go longer than 120. And then we got to 110. And now, anytime a pitcher goes over 100, 105 pitches, it's a surprising result. But in the postseason, I don't think that pitch counts are really something to focus on. Look at batters faced. Because the thing that we keep seeing in this postseason is, with the exception of that front of the rotation ace, the, Wack, the Walker Buellers, the Max Scherzers. Okay, maybe you throw Brandon Woodruff or maybe Corbin Burns into that. But you go past that level of pitcher, and everyone else you see, it's it's the goal is to get to 18 batters faced, and if they're really cruising, maybe you let them go 19, 20, or 21. To circle it back to last night's Giants Dodgers game for a second, how many pit batters did Alex Wood face in that game, Kyle? Eighteen.
1: Yeah, got through four and two thirds, and then yeah, they pulled up. They, they pulled him as soon as he was about to face Mookie Betts for a third time.
0: Eighteen batters, and by the way, you know we talk about quick hooks and all. That was the perfect use of Alex Wood last night. They got eighteen batters out of him. He was great. He was rolling, and they said nope, hand it over to the pen. And the pen got the final uh, five, five and a third to get the shutout. But you look at last night. Now, Eduardo Rodriguez was going on short rest. How many batters did he face for the Red Sox? 18. We're seeing this time and time again. If a batter, if a pitcher gets to 18 batters faced and there's two outs in that inning and there's no one on, they may let the the manager may let him face 19, 20, 21, but any pitcher who's allowed to go past 21 batters it feels like nowadays is almost the designation of an ace you look at the brewers the the brewers brave game last yesterday now freddy peralta's a, a an odd case because the brewers offense is so it ineffective right now that they pulled him for a pinch hitter after 15 batters 15 great batters that he faced but ian anderson was really good how many batters did ian anderson face 19 It is one of those things that is just jumping out to me time and time again. We are now, it used to be the metric was, can can a pitcher in the postseason get you through the seventh or the eighth? Now, really, it seems like in most of these games, the metric is how many innings can the starter get you before he hits that point where you pull him after 18, 19, 20, 21 batters? And we're seeing it time and time again. And we saw it in that series. I thought John Smoltz did have a good point about it, though, that one of the things, the offshoots of that, that we saw in that Rays Red Sox series is how much does a reliever start to lose effectiveness when a team is facing him for the third, fourth, or we may see and if this goes five games, fifth time in a week. And what we, see, we, what we are seeing in these games is we are seeing relievers who are facing teams that often. I don't think that's obviously different from the three times through the order penalty, but I do think that the advantage does start to shift to the hitter as they get to see a reliever who's got a different look, especially or something like that. And you see him and you're the same hitter is getting to face that pitcher for a, for a second or a third time in a series. Now that's, a clever part of this is you can also spot relievers where if a reliever is getting you three outs, you can do that where they don't face a batter very often because you get them to get different groups of hitters out. But as we look at the totality of that, that raised Red Sox game last night, great game, a lot to chew over in that game. But I do feel like that at the end of the day, the Red Sox got a great outing from Eduardo Rodriguez but it was a great 18 batters. And then their pen had a little trouble. The Rays pen, McClanahan just did not have it. But overall, the other thing that strikes me is, is considering that extra inning game we had the day before. If you told me that that would end up being a six, five game, that's about the score that I would expect. That's my takeaway from that game. Like at the grand arching level, I'll now throw it to you, Kyle, to basically say like, okay, what's your big takeaways from the Red Sox advancing the Rays going home after having the best record in the American League?
1: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mentioned it as we talked about what we expected from the postseason, that the Rays obviously had to be favored in this being they won the most games in the American League this year and won the division and had taken care of the Red Sox for most of the year. But the Red Sox can bang with anyone. This is an explosive offense, and we saw that. They came back in Game 2. They gutted out in Game 3 with uh, the help from a rule that I think none of us knew what the actual rule was until it happened, because we'd never seen anything like that. And then yesterday, jumping out early to a 5 nothing lead and, and then finishing it off after they lost it. This is a really good offense. Um, give them a lot of credit. Anytime you're talking about, you know, Devers, Bogarts, Martinez, you know, Adam for Dugo. By the way, Hunter Renfer had one of the best years of his career this year, it really was the best year for his career. Kyle Schwarber was a great deadline addition. Um, this is just a really, really good deep lineup, and that can take you a long way in October and give them credit. And, and look, with the Rays, it really is very, very simple. You cannot get two innings from your games, two, three, and four starters and expect to win in the playoffs. You just can't. And You know, again, it wasn't necessarily an analytics thing with them or them, you know, being dogmatic about something. It was Shane Bos and Drew Rasmussen just didn't pitch well. And last night that, you know, with the way the extra inning game went in game three, left him a little bit of a pickle. You know, Colin McHugh's out there, but he's mostly gone two, three innings max all season. There were some strategy blunders here. There's no question. Shane McClanahan, who's been a starter for you all year coming out of the bullpen on short rest as the first guy out of your bullpen, that's just, a, that's just a poor decision, you know, leaving Yandy Diaz in there at third base at the end of the game, instead of Joey Wendell, again, that's, that's just a poor decision, but every team has, you know, decisions in the postseason that probably weren't the smartest thing to do at the time. And sometimes they can still overcome it. So I don't know if, if those two things are, you know, the singular reason the Rays lost the series I look more at it as, and JJ, I'd love to get your take on this. I definitely found myself thinking, would the Rays have been in a better position to win this series if their rotation went Snell-Morton games one and two with McClanahan three, Boz four, as opposed to starting four rookies? McClanahan, Boz, Rasmussen, it was supposed to be Patino, Then obviously with the extra inning game, things got shuffled around. They had to go to Colin McHugh starting a bullpen game in game four. But to me, the answer is yes. And that's where we kind of go back to this Rays team. They do such a good job in player development. Uh, they do such a good job in putting players in the best position to win once they get to the major leagues. They do a lot of things really, really well. Pro scouting, they're excellent. Again, 21 of the 26 guys on this roster were acquired. This is not a homegrown team. This is a team where their scouts fanned out, found guys, worked with the analytics group to identify guys and brought in guys who can make an impact on this team. But when it comes down to the postseason, you need horses. You just do. Um, you mentioned that 18-inning thing. The teams that win have a guy or two – the 18-outs thing, excuse me. The Teams that win have a guy, normally two, who can get you more than that so that their bullpen isn't wiped out. Every time they've ha- a team has had to use a bullpen to this degree, they're wiped out. Saw it last year with the Rays in the World Series. I think about the Brewers a few years ago by the time they got to the end of the NLCS. Um, You know, even the teams with the best bullpens that they really rode to World Series, the Angels in 2002, the Royals in 2015, had starters that could get them consistently five, six, in some cases, seven. The Rays just, they've got to have those starting pitchers who can do that. And the fact that they didn't, to me, is something where, again, if they want to get past the division series, and let's be clear, the Rays, for all their excellence, have not won a postseason series since 2008, with the exception of the shortened 2020 season. Which kind of played into their strengths in terms of, you know, relievers were fresher. They were able to be a little bit stronger there. Um, They've got to get back to having some horses at the front of their rotation. And I definitely thought, had the thought, I wonder what it would have looked like if Snell and Morton were starting games one and two. What about you?
0: Um, Snell wasn't very good this year. (laughs) like i think he would have been better
1: in tampa than he was in san diego new league new pitching coach new new everything i think he would have been better in tampa than he was in san diego
0: but what we have is is like if you would not want the blake snell who pitched in 2021 fronting your rotation in, in a postseason like we can say maybe he would have been better if he still was in tampa we don't know but the blake snell who pitched this year was a below average major league pitcher i mean that's the reality of it he had the same era plus ERA plus is not the perfect stat, but he had the same ERA plus as Luis Patino, the guy that they acquired you know, in, in one of these deals. And we obviously have multiple years of Patino. I think that the Rays often do these where it's like, okay, they're looking at a five-year stretch rather than a one. Morton, I'll give you that one. It would have been nice to have Morton in that rotation, but would give you some length. But two things. One is I don't think that we should make it was a four game series. And because of that, it's not the same as losing in game five on a walk off in the ninth inning of a five best of five where you say, look, you can't really make any, that's the flip of a coin almost. But that said, this is easily a series where we could be talking right now in a scenario where we say the Rays just finished off the Red Sox in four games. Because those last two games, the margins were paper thin. And so if that was the case, we would then be in danger of making too much of a sweeping, you know, like, oh, the Rays know what they're doing the same way. Like this series was so close at the end of it that it's hard to say too much about what, you know, either way. And I will also say along the line, as far as the horses, give credit to Nate who has has basically re-emerged uh, after that epic 2018 performance, had to kind of rest, recharge, recover in 2019 after he had given his arm to that title to come back and be very effective again this year. But I will note with that, you again, I'm probably too focused on batters faced, but the Red Sox are not letting any of these pitchers go more than about 20 batters. No pitcher that the Red Sox have. Now they have guys who are getting them four to five innings, unlike what the Rays did, because as you noted, I think they wanted more innings from Shane Boss. They wanted maybe an inning or two more from Drew Rasmus. They just didn't get it in those performances. But we, we talk about Eduardo Rodriguez and he was great last night, but he faced nine batters in the, uh, in, in the loss to the Rays when he pitched in game one. So they got now they got 19 batters from Pavetta in that game, but they didn't get it from their starter. They got eight batters from Chris sale. They also didn't get a whole lot of length in this series. But what what ended up, I feel like being kind of the difference in the series, as you said, they really Kike Hernandez was great, but they had their their offense was a little bit better. And they also had relievers who, if I'm crediting some, if I had to pick one pit player to, to credit in this, it's probably for Pavetta at the end of the day. Pavetta giving them that length that he did in the extra inning gaming in game three is really the difference in this series. Him doing that where the Rays were having to kind of go pitcher after pitcher after pitcher Having to turn to their game four starter in a situation that's not probably ideal way to bring him in, the Red Sox didn't have that worry because they said Pavetta basically said, "I've got this," and then carried it on. I will say also with the Rays, I do look at this team, what they did in this postseason, what they did over the totality of this year, and and add to that what they've done in the minor leagues. And I do think that this is a team that's going to be here for, for years to come. But to, take a, to pull back a little bit, I do think that we'll, as we always do with the race, see a different team in 2022 than we did in 21. One of those questions that I'm kind of interested to see, where does Brandon Lau fit on this 2022 team? He had a great regular season this year, following a great regular season 2020. But for all of those great regular seasons, I do think you have to be troubled. You have to be concerned that now, over I've called up his three years of postseason stats. And in the postseason, he is 13 for 113 with 47 strikeouts. That's 115, 167, 257. Over the last two years, it's even worse. And I do wonder if, if this the Rays are always a team that is looking at every player and saying, what value do we have in them versus what value can we get in trade? There is a part of me that wonders, is Brandon Lau going to be on this team in 2022? Or are they going to look at it and say, we can trade him and we may be a better team for 22 and beyond by having Wander Franco as I think Wander Franco will be a, plus if not a if not a plus plus defender at second base and having Taylor Walls at shortstop who's going to be that great glove who I think will hit enough to be valuable and they also still will have the other guys that fit in you also throw in a Vidal Brujan you could throw in a other players down the road they have a Xavier Edwards they have a Greg Jones they have guys coming up but I do wonder one bad series you throw it out Brandon Lau is looking very pitchable in the postseason. And there are guys who simply are guys who, if you execute, if you have a plan, they're not as effective. I would say Bobby Dahlbeck for the Red Sox is another example of that. Bobby Dahlbeck's the guy who can get you 25 homers in the regular season because he will hit mistakes. But if you execute your plan, Brandon Lau's a much better hitter, I should make clear, than Bobby Dahlbeck is right now. But if they are guys where if you execute your plan – They have trouble. That's my kind of takeaway. I'll kind of kick it back to you for any other thoughts you have about that. series.
1: Yeah. What we see with the raise, as soon as guys start to get expensive, they tend to move them. And Brandon Lau signed that six year $24 million extension a few years ago. And it's about to really kick up in 2022. Uh, He's going to jump from two and a half million to 4 million after that 5.25 after the 8.75. So Yeah. I mean, this, this is the time when the Rays typically do trade players like this right before everything starts to get expensive. Um, It's tough because you're right. Brandon Lau has not looked good in the postseason at all. Uh, He definitely is, is not someone that you trust up with the bat out there with the bat right now, which is a shame because he's a really, really good hitter and the Rays wouldn't be here without him. He had a really good year this year. He had a really good year last year. He had a really good year the year before. And He's been one of the Rays' best, most consistent hitters during this run, um, but come the postseason, just, just has not gotten the job done, whether it's mental mechanical, it's really probably a little bit of both. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. And and again, this is kind of the Rays' way where as soon as guys get expensive, they, they move them out a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things I do want to bring up a little bit is and this kind of ties back, you know, Snell did have a 1.83 ERA over his final eight starts in San Diego this year. He was getting really, really, really good and in gear at the end of the year, whereas Patino had a 4-3-4 over the, over the final uh, month, final two months and was averaging fewer innings per start. So again, this is where the Rays have to make that decision of, okay, guy's getting expensive. Is he going to be, you know, are we trying to win the war per dollar? battle here or are we trying to win games and sometimes you say oh well get the guy who's a two war guy for five hundred thousand. that's more valuable than the guy who is five war but making 10 million yes on paper it is and that that helps but sometimes in the actual game you need the five war guy whether it's 10 million dollars or not you need that guy to win the game and i, I think but who, the raise who's are, the
0: five war guy they gave up
1: i'm, sp- I'm speaking generally just the concept of yes i got, I got a like, guy i don't do I'm, that
0: <laughs> They, they generally don't do that. They generally don't give away it. I struggle to come up with trades that they've made where they give away a guy and you look at a veteran that they trade away and that player has gotten better after he left or that player that that's the thing I struggle with is, is that the rays are absolutely a team that does arbitrage. They're a team that basically says the moment that we think that your perceived value is higher than your value it's not just expense but it, and also there is a cost component to it they are a cheap an organization that does not spend money on their major league payroll absolutely true but what i struggle with is to come up with the examples of where you say okay this is the player that they traded away the veteran who went on to be bigger and better and clearly they should not have let him go because usually again the flip side of that is is they trade away chris archer at the exact perfect time and, and That was the, the right reason thing that to they do are at that moment. There's
1: no question. But I think but who, the example, but who's that player? Who's the that example. Player? It's not a trade. It's a guy that walk. It's Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton this year was fantastic. He's significantly better than he was at last year. And that's one that you
0: can't let that guy walk away. If you want to be a championship team, you find a way to keep him. And that may be the one. But again, when I can look back at most of their moves, again, no team is perfect about it. They are really good. I, I would call them. Belichickian in that they are always the team that is going to get rid of a player one year too soon rather than one year too late, Um, but you know that so that that is it's an interesting point you know and we will see we will continue to see as we go through the upcoming years because this Rays team if this is the peak still a pretty good peak they made it to the World Series last year but as you're right to note that was a shortened season it's really going to now be okay, is this in a very, very competitive, an AL East that really could have four? If the Red Sox and Yankees spin the offseason doing what I expect them to do, you look at the Blue Jays who are a team on the ascent. Four of the top six or seven teams in the AL next year probably should come from the AL East. If the Rays can stay on top of that, that will make this year potentially a blip. If the Rays can't, then that would also be like that. This was their missed opportunity. It'll be it'll be fascinating to watch that as we go I forward. The,
1: I will say this is a really, really good team. I think as these guys get a little bit older again, this pitching staff, you know, you know, McClanahan, Boz, Rasmussen. Uh, Patino, these guys all have a chance to be very, very good. The Rays are plenty talented to keep winning games and winning division titles and competing in that vicious, vicious AL East, as you noted. Again, even this year, top four teams all won at least ninety-one games. It's just going to be a matter of can they get over that hump of let's get out of the division series in a one hundred sixty-two game season. Again, I do think it needs to be noted they have yet to do that, and um, there have been different, you know, these each team's been different. There's been different reasons for it. And some of it is small things that I don't know if you can attribute to any sort of grand overarching theme. Cause short series, you know, things happen, but um, I will be interested to see if they're willing to make some tweaks and namely understand, okay. Yeah. Having that guy at the front, that being a team that does have one guy who can get us more than 18 outs or even better, two of them, that will put them in a more advantageous position to win in the postseason. And you know, whether they can do that with their payroll. We've seen before the answer has been no, but at a certain point, they're going to need to do that if they want to get out of the division series.
0: Jumping ahead to the final, again, we're going in reverse chronological order. Braves Brewers yesterday. I'm going to offer a little bit and I shouldn't offer a mea culpa because they still could. My Rays prediction has already been destroyed as far as them going to the World Series and winning it. But as I watch this Brewers team... I almost feel like I need to offer an advance mea culpa, which I love their pitching staff, but watching this series so far has offered a nice reminder that the lineup, the offense for this Brewers team is really in trouble. And we saw that yesterday where I don't blame them for pinch hitting for Freddie Peralta when they did, because you look at this team and what you would say is, is, well, this is an opportunity where maybe we can score And we're probably not going to have a whole lot of those opportunities. We haven't had a whole lot of those opportunities in the entirety of the series. And so they, they pulled the plug and it didn't work out for them, but at the same time that really was one of their few opportunities to put runs on the board in in that game yesterday. I I look at where the series is right now. They're going to have to find some kind of offense and and I don't know where it's going to come from right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, this Brewers team finished 20th in the majors in OPS this year, just ahead of the Indians, who have had a lot of offensive struggles. And that happened playing their home games. I'm going to call it Miller Park, because in my head, it's always going to be Miller Park. I mean, playing their home games in a very, 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 very hitter-friendly park. They slugged 396 as a team in a park where the ball tends to fly. Um, You know, this is part of the reason I didn't pick them to get to the World Series. Now I picked them to win this series because I thought their pitching staff was so dominant um, and they still could, but clearly their backs are against the wall here. But part of the reason I, I didn't see them as the team I would pick to reach the World Series, you could craft a scenario where they could, but they weren't my pick. Is This offense just it isn't good enough. I mean, you look at this, you know, they were able to manufacture some runs despite being 20th in OPS, their 12th in run score in the majors. But again, you know, that's still a middle tier group among offenses, especially in the playoffs when Astros, one, Rays, two, Dodgers, four, Red Sox, five, Giants, six, Braves, eight, White Sox, seven. I mean, most of the teams that are in the postseason are in the top 10. The Brewers are on the outside looking in. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I do want to say, Jock Peterson, when October comes around, man, Jock, is a real thing. I tweeted it out. I mean, he's been really, really good in the postseason. Just a huge, huge home run there, obviously. Ian Anderson is crafting a really, really nice postseason resume for himself early on. Uh, give the Braves credit, but yeah, this Brewers offense, it's its not good. It needs to be a lot better than it's been. Uh, they're going back to, uh, or they're in Atlanta again today. Then they go back home on Thursday, potentially, if they can stay alive. And yeah, I, I mean, do you think this offense can do better? I mean, obviously scoring no runs you obviously can do better than that but i mean again I this is not, this is not like this is just, just not a great offense i mean how much more and really this is a team that their idea is we're going to win a lot of games two to one three to two with our staff and bullpen but it's it's tough to count on that day in and day out it really
0: is they have right now they have two runs in the series <laughs> as a team they're hitting yeah. 176, 242, 242. That's a yeah. 484 OPS. Like, yeah, the pitching's been great. The Braves are hitting 202, 279, 351. And if you take Jock Peterson out of that is hitting it's hitting worth, a lot worse than that. But I don't, the, the problem I'm struggling with right now is, okay, Willie Adamas, you, you, you can kind of hope for something there. Colton Wong? I mean, who else are you really kind of right now counting on? You, you, you kind of would think it still would be Christian Yelich, but Christian Yelich is not. That that, that MVP season is not coming through that door. Uh, they're really going to count on grinding out with the pitching staff. This is, this is a 68 Tigers Cardinals type you're trying to win, where it's like, okay, if we can beat them 1-0, or 2-1. Great. And that's, that's what this series has been so far. The other thing I do want to say about this, and we could talk about this in larger detail if they advance out of the series, but I want to give the Braves and I want to give Alex Anthopoulos a lot of credit. This is a team that at the trade deadline was reeling because you should be reeling. If you lose Ronald Acuna, who's one of the best players in baseball, is lost for the season. Mike Soroka, who, okay, you weren't counting on him to be part of your opening day rotation, but it was every bit reasonable to expect that Mike Soroka, by mid-season on, would be a valuable part of your rotation again. Those are those are key players. And Travis darnode also missed time. So, like, they were a team that was reeling and they didn't go out. It's credit to the Dodgers. They went out and got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, but let's also say that's that big kind of move where you say, well, yes, it worked. You acquired one of the best pitchers in baseball and one of the best infielders in baseball. Yes, that works out. The Braves went out and made these kind of moves around the periphery to acquire a Jock Peterson, to acquire an Eddie Rosario, to acquire a Jorge Soler, to, you know, to bring back Adam Duvall. They remade their outfield without really having to spend a whole lot of money to do it. And every player that they acquired has flaws. There none of them are a Ron Lacuna where you say he just checks all the boxes. But if you take your, player who does this well, but this poorly, and this other player who does this well and does this poorly, and this other player who does this well and does this poorly, and you say we're going to put them in situations to succeed, Jock Peterson is the perfect example of a player who I think is a lot better player if he ends the season with 350 to 400 at play appearances than he is if he gets 600, and that's what they're able to do with him. They're able to do that with all of these outfielders. And that's allowed them to fashion a respectable outfield. After I don't want to say these are spare part types guys because they're better than that, but they're all guys who no one would go into a season saying that the offseason is not going to be revolving around where is the free agent destination of these players.
1: I said it at The trade deadline after we did our trade deadline podcast that Alex Anthopoulos and his group are very, very, very underrated. And one of the things that they have shown us they will consistently do to the benefit of their team is they will aggressively address their holes at the deadline. We saw it in 2019, that awful, awful, awful Braves bullpen. They went out, they got... Shane Green they went out, they got Mark Lason they went out and they got Chris Martin. I mean they went out and fixed it aggressively. they didn't just get one guy they got three guys which they needed. Uh, we're seeing it again this year. you mentioned that outfield was decimated. they brought in all these guys and all these guys have been starters who have had success in the major leagues. I I, I wouldn't call them spare parts. these aren't you know extra guys these are guys who have been starters, they've been successful starters you know, for whatever reason this year, they didn't have a good start, you know, whatever. It wasn't, wasn't a great year for them, but they came to Atlanta. They were given again, a lot of them just, just put in the right situation. And I mean, again, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, Jorge Hissler, Jock Peterson, these are good everyday players in major league baseball. They just, you know, it wasn't working out for them this year at their old spots in a lot of cases. And they've been really, really good. Now, did I expect to see Adam Duvall starting in center field on a playoff team? Certainly not, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, again, just, just give them credit for aggressively addressing their flaws and not, you know, I, I think this is a front office that's really good about being real with themselves and real with their team. It's like, Hey, we're not very good here. We need to fix this. And one guy ain't got to cut it. It ain't going to cut it. Some front offices, I, I think don't always have that clear eyed view to clear eyed view of their team. And the Braves and Oxenthopolis, I think are among the best at that. You know, even you know, Richard Rodriguez is not on the postseason roster, but they needed another right-handed reliever to help them there down the stretch. Now, he certainly didn't miss many bats, but you look up, he got the job done. I mean, went out, had a, a 3-1 ERA. I mean, again, just even that, you know, addressing that flaw, it, it helped them get through the year, a 3-1-2 ERA, 27 appearances. So, again, give give them credit, give the players credit, give Jock Peterson credit for consistently coming through in October, and give this pitching staff credit. Uh, Max Fried was absolutely fantastic in his start in Anderson again five scoreless yesterday uh there's your 18 uh, 18 batter rule again JJ um but yeah he just they they've just done a really 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 good job all the way around Anderson faced 19 batters, excuse me um and so the Braves have to figure it out like you said two runs in three games certainly isn't gonna cut it but this is how they they try to win again they won game one two to one that's that's kind of their style and now they got to figure out a way to scrape across Three, four, five, because it's just really, really, really hard to win games like that consistently, day in and day out in the postseason.
0: So, we've covered all those series. Uh, today we have a, another. We have three series left going, and they're all supposed to play today. Um, the one that we haven't covered that I want to get just your your quick thoughts on is so we had a a, a weather out in uh, the Astros White Sox series. So game four gets pushed back a day. Right now, it, it kind of the, the announcement, I believe, for Tony La Russa is Carlos Rodon is still starting, but they've also said that pretty much anyone is available. They have to win game four. So you win game four and you figure out game five. Pretty much it seems like Giolito or anyone else they need to would be used in this game if necessary. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of where this series is and and, and where it's going?
1: Well, it's certainly been a lot of fun. We've talked about these two offenses are are two of the best in baseball. We've seen each of the last two games, really, um, you know, teams, both of them just showing that explosive ability, the Astros in game two, uh, and then both teams going back and forth like they did in game three until the White Sox really poured it on there at the end. You know, the the delay allows the Astros to start Lance McCullers. He was not set to start yesterday, but now he's going to start game four. uh, And that's obviously a huge, huge boost. He was great in game one. Yeah, I I mean, the White Sox, again, they're such a different team at at home and on the road for for just whatever reason record-wise. It's funny, you look at a lot of their stat splits, you know, pitching home versus road, hitting home versus road. It's not terrible, but I mean, at home, they were 53 and 28 this year. That's the best record of any team in the American League and the second best of any team in Major League Baseball. On the road, they were 40 and 41, the only division winner to have a losing record away from home. So I think you kind of have to give the edge to the White Sox anytime they're home, um, but it's going to be tough. They're going to have to conquer these road demons to win the series, and that would mean you know, going back to Houston now on a one-day turnaround. Uh, it's going to be tough. Again, I think, gosh, I look, this is a very evenly matched series. Either team can win it. Uh, we'll see what Carlos Rodon has. He obviously missed time at the end of the year, uh, wasn't 100%. You know, having Lance McCullers on the mound, if you're the Astros, you feel really good about it. Um, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be fun either way, whether it ends today or goes to game five. Uh, either of these teams is, is capable of winning. It's just that that home road thing for the White Sox. I kind of It kind of gives me a feeling they're going to win tonight, go back to Houston. The Astros are going to wrap it up in five, but we'll see. What about you? Where are you at with this?
0: I think the Astros pulled this out. I think that it whether it's in four or five, I just feel like that <laughs> I'm 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 really stretching on a really strong limb here when they need one win out of two games. And if I think these teams are relatively even, then I would say the advantage is with the Astros. But I do think I think the Astros are in a really good place right now as far as their lineup. It's the kind of the opposite of the Brewers. There's a lot of guys who can mash. And I also just look at I, I don't really like, I'm a little worried. I wonder if Rodon starting this game is kind of uh, I'll I'll go Jim Leland in the late 80s had a series where it's like, oh, no, we're starting this guy, but the Astros aren't a big platoon team. So there's not a giant advantage of saying we're going to go for Rodon and then pulling him quickly and going to a Lynn or a Giolito or someone else. Not really a big advantage to be gained by that, as there would say against maybe a Rays or someone else. I, I just feel like that at this point, the Astros are slightly better. Obviously, the White Sox can win this series. I don't think there's any question of that. But the one thing that we're not going to cover on this podcast is a reliever making speculation about sign stealing because you got to have more than that. Like, uh, we're not. Yeah, we're just not covering that. But we did cover a lot here on the podcast today on the Baseball America Playoff podcast. We will be back again as we are throughout this series tomorrow to wrap up. Another three games, which we will, we should, we should cherish these three game days because they're going away. We'll be in the uh, LCSs before long. Before long, we'll just have one game and we'll have off days. But so let's enjoy it while we have it. Kyle, any last thoughts that you have before we wrap this up?
1: It's going to be fun how uh, we've got a chance to see all three remaining series wrap up today. Uh, it's, I think we've had some that are so close. I feel like we're definitely getting at least one game five, uh, but it's an exciting day. It's been an exciting division series and I'm just looking forward to uh, what happens. I'll be back out at Dodger stadium tonight. See if the giants can close that out and it's going to be a fun day of baseball. Again, this is the best time of year to be a sports fan in my opinion and uh, I'm enjoying it so far. And I love the fact that we still have some championship series and the world series still to go after this
0: for Kyle I'm JJ so long everybody
1: everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or Mc Crispy Sandwich